Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's BizTech Huehua Chat, the future of green hydrogen. I'm absolutely delighted to be introducing this session today. It's been a really full session. Uh, we've got uh, over 100 people registered for, for this, uh, and I would like to provide a little bit of context to it for you before we begin. I'll be keeping my remarks quite short because we have a very full program, and people have been dialing in. Uh, from all over the world. Now, I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors at Zien, and Zien has been working very hard to try and keep discussions and dialogue going on some more advancing topics that we see around the world. And hydrogen is definitely one of them. Uh, we're also delighted to be doing this in conjunction with uh, CDI, the China Development Institute, our long-term friends who've been working with us for many years on the Global Financial Centers Index. And this particular session on hydrogen demand in the future was something that I personally uh, was very, very keen on. And I'm thrilled to see today on the line a variety of people from all around the world, not just the BizTechSaywa chats we wanted originally, which were between Europe and China, uh, but uh, in many other nations have come in today from uh, Japan, uh, from Korea, from the Middle East and from America. <clears throat> and although he won't be speaking today, a particularly warm welcome to my dear friend Nick Schuess, who's dialing in from Hamburg. Uh, Nick has been a fervent adherent and proponent of hydrogen for many, many years, over 35 years, and has created the H2 Stiftung, which we'll hear more of later. Anyway, just to try and set the scene, uh, many of the people here will be experts, but for those who are not, uh, just a quick glance at some figures on hydrogen demand. So hydrogen demand, uh, you can see here at 94 uh, megatons, it, you know, is a 5% increase on 2020, um, uh, between 2020 and 21. Uh, demand is, seems okay. New applications are growing quite rapidly. But I contrast that with uh, where the Institute, I'm sorry, where the IEA, the International Energy uh, Authority, uh, expects things to go. Is by 2030 to be at around the 180 million, uh, sorry, 180 megaton mark. Now you look at that and you say, well, that's actually a 100% increase. And I'd say in many other industries, that would be quite good over the next sort of eight years or what have you. But in truth, uh, for a booming industry that's supposed to be supplying uh, the global energy transportation around the world, that seems, uh, given the scale of the climate change challenge, a little low. But our experts today will give us a, a lot about that. So if we move on to the next slide, um, I can't this slide because um, one of the slides here are the uh, color codes of hydrogen. Uh, it's often said that there are seven colors in the rainbow, and you can see here that we've already got six colors of hydrogen. I'm not quite sure what we're missing, uh, purple or what have you. Uh, but despite the terminology in the field, it basically boils down to, you know, do you produce it green, you know, fully renewable using techniques that are emitting absolutely nothing? Or do you have variants uh, along the way uh, that are in some way polluting uh, with possibly, I guess, pink, uh, the most uh, interesting outlier there, uh, simply because it, you, it, it depends on where you fall on nuclear energy being green and renewable or whether you think nuclear energy shouldn't be. So we're going to be hearing a lot of those color codes, but at the core of the debate uh, for me is, is really, what is this? Is, is this a transportation mechanism or is it an end use production mechanism? But whatever it is, and one of the reasons <coughs> are quite interested in it, whatever hydrogen is, uh, it is going to be traded 
And that is one of the reasons we would like to keep these discussions going, uh, because at the training level, we feel that we have a lot that we can bring to bear. Now, the program today is uh, fairly straightforward. Uh, we're going to try and get a number of people, uh, as you can see on this slide here, we're going to try and get a number of people to present. Mike, can you? Thank you. I'm going to try and get a number of people uh, to present uh, so that we can actually have a, a decent amount of questions, comments, and discussions. Uh, Mike and I have assembled uh, a crowd with the help, I say the enormous help of CDI. Uh, so we'll be starting with Dr. Uh, Leo Yu, then we'll be moving back here into the UK for Hugo Spowers, who's uh, an engineer with River Simple, which is doing hydrogen automobiles and uh, transportation, uh, back to China. Uh, back to the UK for an, an analysis view, uh, back to China on, on some of the sciences, uh, back to the UK for element two, um, which is uh, trying to build hydrogen stations. Uh, in the background, and when it comes to questions and comments and observations, uh, we have Marcus and Timo from the H2 Stiftung uh, that Nicholas Hsu has founded, and H2 Stiftung is trying to build the global market, uh, and we'll be hearing more about that uh, from Germany. So going to be uh, bouncing around quite a bit. If, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask the speakers to please keep to time. And could I also leave people out there, because I can hear if you would, please check if you're not speaking, please put yourself on mute. I've heard a, a dog and a sneeze and a few other things. So uh, just, just please use your mute buttons. And so with no further ado, uh, asking Mike Wardle, who's behind the scenes and will be leading uh, the question time. Mike, would you please uh, hand the floor to Dr. Leo Yu, the Executive Director of the New Energy Research Center, uh, who's with the China Development Institute. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> thank you very much. And uh, Dr. Liu, uh, please take the floor. Uh, Distinguished Dr. guests, good morning, good afternoon. I'm going to share with you the uh, one of the three most dynamic regions in China, namely the Greater Bay region and its development in hydrogen. As we know, the Greater Bay area or the GBA is one of the important economic powerhouses in China with a total GDP of 13 trillion. Uh, that was in 2022, that accounts for 11% in China's GDP. Economic development is one of the important features in the GBA, but looking back on its energy consumption, it accounts for a large proportion in the total consumption of China. That's roughly 10%. That's to say the GBA is not only a center of economic development, but also a center of energy consumption. Let's take a look at its energy structure. Well, as for energy mix, the Greater Bay Area has three regions, two special administrative regions and one province. In terms of primary energy source, Guangdong Province, Hong Kong and Macau still rely most of the time on fossil fuels. If you look at your left-hand side, the, the first picture, the first chart shows that coal, natural gas, and fossil fuel still accounts for a large proportion. As for Hong Kong, coal and oil 
make up 90% or above in its primary energy source. But things are similar in Macau. Oil and gas account for a high proportion, whereas electricity is most of the time generated by fossil fuels. We can see that in the next chart. In terms of installed power, um, most of them, it's still fossil fuel. That means the primary energy consumption and energy electricity generation, power generation, are still very much rely on fossil fuel. In the uh, first picture, you can see uh, that thermal power accounts for the highest proportion in Guangdong province. In 2018, uh, the number was 80 million uh, kilowatt hours. And in Hong Kong, coal-fired power and natural gas have a very high percentage, over 90%. Well, things are similar in Macau. And we can draw a conclusion, namely, we have a very high proportion of installed power capacity rely reliant on fossil fuel and to reduce carbon uh, and emission, we need to uh, move forward and uh, move towards energy transition relying on renewable energy. I believe one of the directions, one of the possibilities uh, is, as the theme today shows, uh, is to move forward the energy transition in Greater Bay Area through hydrogen. I believe the moderator and the chairman also said that in the future, we're looking at much higher uh, capacity of uh, hydrogen. And by 2030, uh, it's going to reach a milestone given its safety and given its economy, hydrogen has become an important energy source. It's a reno renewable energy and its uh, generation is from electrolyzed uh, water which is very clean. So there is very good outlook for the development of green hydrogen. As for its economics, given lower cost of hydrogen energy storage and the use of renewable energies, hydrogen can be a new way of storing energy. And as a big power in uh, renewable energy. China with energy can avoid waste of power, for example, curtailment of wind and PV power. Speaking of its safety, hydrogen can also feed back uh, to electricity grid, maintaining its reliable operation. And it's useful for China to set up a new type of electricity system featuring uh, renewable energy. So from an energy safety, energy security point of view, hydrogen uh, works as a stabilizer for the national grid. What are the challenges faced by the Greater Bay Area? You can see in the chart on the right-hand side, 
some cities in Guangdong province proposed to develop, uh, actively develop energy uh, through hydrogen. For example, we have a target of reaching 10,000 um, hydrogen powered vehicles and building 200 uh, hydrogen refueling stations. Many cities have their own plans. For example, Guangzhou aims to reach 60 billion of uh, uh, RMB worth of industry for hydrogen. And by 2030, uh, the goal is to reach 200 billion RMB. Foshan is a good example of hydrogen development, and its goal is to reach a 100 billion RMB market by 2030. Likewise, Hong Kong is going to put energy uh, hydrogen powered buses on the road this year. Many other cities all came up with an ambitious plan to develop um, hydrogen. But the reality is, where do we get hydrogen? In what way? In what model? So we can support industrial development and the operation of hydrogen cars energy storage and electricity grid. On the left hand side, you can see some numbers. Take Foshan as a good example of hydrogen. Every day we are talking about 16 to 18 tons of hydrogen, but there is only a capacity of five ton per day in this city. Despite its ambitious goals, the shortage of hydrogen uh, given that only one third of hydrogen powered vehicles can be put on road due to uh, the shortage of supply. I think one of the options given the energy shortage is to give a strong boost to green uh, hydrogen. And for that, we have to rely on offshore wind. We need to make use of the abundant resources from offline wind power so we can uh, realized localized supply of hydrogen. We believe that's the most important solution to uh, the hydrogen shortage in the Greater Bay Area. 21.1% is from the byproduct hydrogen from industries. There is only 1.5% is provided by the electrolysis of water for Guangdong province and also the GBA the major share is still from the industrial hydrogen production, which cannot ensure our industrial needs. In the future, we can learn from the European countries with UK included. We would like to make more explorations on how we can produce more hydrogen using the offshore wind energy. In the future, with the production cost going down, that will be very potential. Later, we will elaborate on this. We know that Guangdong is endowed with a lot of resources. We are with very rich offshore wind, and we also have the planning for the wind power plants over 3,030 million kilowatts. And we have a lot of island resources to promote the development of hydrogen production. In the future, with the decreasing cost and also the lowering technological barriers, the cost for offshore wind 
hydrogen production will be going down, which will be much lower than that has been introduced by our moderator. We estimate that the production cost will be about 10 ampere yuan per kilowatt hour. In the future, if the GBA can promote the hydrogen production using offshore wind energy, and we can develop the upstream, downstream, in this case, by 2025, the output value for the hydrogen will be about 1 trillion ampere yuan. By 2035, it will amount to 5 trillion ampere yuan. And that will be very conducive for the construction of maritime ocean economy, which include the marine bonds, blue energy, and we can also promote the hydrogen production using the offshore wind energy, which include the power generation, hydrogen production, the seawater desanitation, the maritime ranches storage, the versatile hydrogen refueling, so as to have the net zero development of the islands. That is all my presentation. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very, <clears throat> thank you very much. Um, and we're going to move swiftly on um, to our next speaker um, to hear from uh, Hugo Spouse, the founder and chief engineer at River Simple. I'm speaking from River Simple. We are a sustainable car company that I set up uh, 20 years ago. Explicitly, uh, we are a sustainable car company rather than a hydrogen car company. Uh, we don't argue about whether we whether solar PV or wind turbines are going to win the renewable energy race. They're just different and we need them both. And I think the same is true of batteries and, and hydrogen. However, nothing can be as sustainable as a hydrogen car for the sort of range to which we've, we've become accustomed. So there is a, a, a um, sense that uh, Battery cars have won the, the race. There's a lot of battery cars around. There's very few hydrogen cars. But I think it's quite expl explicable, really, when you look at the maturity of the technologies. Battery cars are not new. We've had them as long as petrol cars. The car on the left broke the land speed record in 1899, running on batteries. It was uh, the first car to do 100 kilometers an hour. And this is, uh, on the right, a picture from Mercedes-Benz website claiming it as the world's first fuel cell vehicle. I think it's probably, strictly speaking, the world's first uh, road-registered fuel cell vehicle. But nonetheless, you can see that there's a lot of work to get all that technology in the back that fills the back of the van under the bonnet of a car at the price that customers can afford with the reliability that we've come to expect. And um, by and large, apart from uh, uh, countries in the Far East, the European and American manufacturers have really not been investing in technology over the last 25 years that they must have known that they were going to need. So now that the regulations for tailpipe emissions have come in, there's a, a, a rush to produce zero emission cars. And the only thing we're ready to produce in Europe is battery cars. Uh, so uh, and we have to sell them to avoid the fines. And we can't sell them if we say this is just a stopgap measure. We're going to sell you something else in five years time. So uh, uh, I, th I think that probably every car manufacturer in the world now has a, a serious hydrogen vehicle program, including the ones who deny it. There is one um, uh, mantra that we, we, we don't entirely agree with, and that is that we 
need hydrogen for trucks because they're large and we'll do cars with batteries. We do need hydrogen for trucks. That's absolutely true. But it's nothing to do with their size. And there's two examples I can give to illustrate that. One is you can easily make a battery electric HGV if you're happy to do 50 miles a day. But it's not what HGVs do. It's the range and the uptime. The other example down below is that the only mature market for hydrogen mobility uh, today is in materials handling, forklifts and pallet carriers. Uh, I believe that over 30% of food in American warehouses is now moved by hydrogen. And a pallet carrier, one man with a joystick moving a single pallet, is not a large device. So clearly size isn't the issue. It's again utilization. And this principle applies irrespective of size or weight, from a, a pallet carrier right the way up to a a forklift uh, truck. And uh, this is showing the, the longer range vehicle problem with battery cars. The orange dots are, are uh, the battery cars available on the market today in the UK. And as you can see, there's a strong correlation between cost and range. The range is the vertical scale and the horizontal scale is the total cost of ownership for three, year, for, for three years of one of these cars. And you can see that a lot more money buys you a little more range. On, uh, up at the top is a, a red dot, and that's a basic Ford Fiesta. And however much money you've got, there is no battery car on the market that you can buy that gives you the equivalent range to the basic Fiesta. The green dots are hydrogen cars. You can see they're above that uh, band. And the market we're aiming at is the equivalent cost of ownership as a, of, of a of, in fact, of a golf, um, but with equivalent range as well. And uh, with hydrogen, we feel that absolutely this is this is commercially viable here and now. Those longer range battery cars have enormously expensive batteries. Our car weighs less than the battery does in any any of the long range uh, battery vehicles available today, and. Uh, unfortunately, though battery electric powertrain is very efficient, the efficiency of the vehicle depends also on its weight. And if you have a heavy vehicle with a very high powertrain efficiency, it's still an inefficient vehicle. And we can see that with petrol cars. They range between 20 and 23 percent powertrain efficiency across the board today. But the fuel efficiency figure of the vehicle varies wildly. So clearly there's something else to the, the story than, um, uh, than powertrain efficiency. And weight is the, the chief issue. As you build a battery car for longer and longer range, you need more and more batteries. Each battery takes you less far than the previous battery because the car is getting heavier and less efficient. And we have got a serious problem with uh, resource allocation. This is uh, a summary by De Spiegel of some International Energy Agency figures on um, raw materials needed to hit net zero. And this is if we're going to do it with battery vehicles. And you can see it's a 13-fold increase in global production in the next se in seven years' time and 25-fold in, in 24 by 2040. And it's not just battery vehicles that need these raw materials. The whole renewable world is much more dependent on critical materials than a fossil-based world that can muddle through with steel and alley. And we need better ways of allocating resources and certainly putting 900 kilos of raw materials into a battery for a uh, 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 single personal use is, is not a practical uh, solution in the long run. Um, that's 
by comparison, what would be needed for hydrogen vehicles. Um, there is not nearly enough emphasis, we believe, on the business model of the industry. At the moment, if we sell cars, we make more money by selling more cars. So we're rewarded for maximizing resource consumption. And I don't see how we can ever have a sustainable industrial society based on rewarding industry for the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. If on the other hand, you sell the vehicle as a service, much more revenue goes to the vehicle manufacturer. And it, if it stays on the balance sheet of the manufacturer, they're rewarded for longevity rather than obsolescence for low running costs rather than high running costs. And, uh, and it turns efficiency and sustainability more, wild, more widely into a source of competitive advantage rather than a, 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 um, a cost on the bottom line. It also eliminates the economic barriers from bringing these new technologies to market. If you sell cars, you've got to match the extraordinarily low prices of conventional cars today. And, uh, and to do that, you need to get the volume up. But to get the volume up, you need to get the price down. So it's a chicken and egg. If you sell the, the service of the vehicle, uh, the pricing to the customer is based on lifetime cost and end of life value recovery, lower operating costs and longer revenue streams can all offset a higher build cost. So you can come to market at an equivalent price to the customer long before it's as cheap to build. Finally, I'd just like to have uh, say a couple of things about... Uh, um, uh, green hydrogen and hydrogen production and the transition to a truly renewable energy society. River Simple was set up for environmental reasons. It's our raison d'etre. And clearly the end game has to be 100% carbon-free hydrogen. But I do have serious concerns about the, how we're getting there. I'm concerned about this rainbow and I'm concerned about the mantra that the only good hydrogen is green hydrogen. Clearly this is true in the long term. Uh, but it's not going to happen overnight. And we can't insist that new uses of hydrogen have to be in lockstep with green hydrogen. We didn't do it with battery electric cars. We didn't say you can only use a battery electric vehicle if you charge it with green electricity. And, and it will hobble both the deployment of hydrogen vehicles and the development of green hydrogen production if we, if we put them in lockstep. Obviously, for vehicle deployment, it's harder if we insist on green hydrogen only if we don't allow cars to tap into the 70 million plus tons uh, of hydrogen that we produce. But also, if electrolytic hydrogen production is to use only green hydrogen, it's not going to be able to generate operate 24-7. Uh, a study for the Welsh Government estimated that to give equivalent yield to a 10 megawatt electrolyzer, you'd need to install a 16 megawatt electrolyzer, over 50% extra capex if we're going to use uh, green, uh, green electricity only. And finally, um, hydrogen from methane is 75% efficient, whereas it's considered our cleanest form of fossil-generated electricity at 49%, which brings me back to my first point. From a whole system perspective, we decarbonize quicker if we use green electricity to displace natural gas from electricity production at 49% efficiency, rather than to displace natural gas from hydrogen production at 75% efficiency. I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Hugo, um, and you know, a perspective there from um, the, the real industry side of, um, of hydrogen and its use. I'm going to now um, ask Dr. Li Anfei to uh, take the floor, Professor at the Hunan University of Technology and Business. Yes, I'm here. Thank you very much for this opportunity for sharing my studies and some ideas. Um, 
sorry, the material is uh, still in Chinese. So allow me to switch back to Chinese since we have an interpreter here. Um, First of all, I would like to extend my gratitude for having such an opportunity to share with you of my studies. My studies are on the hydrogen. I've been working on this topic for many years, starting from 2017, 2018 till now. So within a short period of four to five years, I have witnessed the rising of the hydrogen. So I would like to elaborate from the policymaking perspective, technological perspective, and also commercial development perspective. The past four and five years have witnessed the rapid progress of hydrogen in China and even the world at large. I still recall that about one year ago, we are talking about the power generation, power grid integration, and also the electricity loading integration. Hydrogen in China's policymaking profile, we considered it as an important energy storage means, but now we are now talking about the PV wind, hydrogen, and also the energy storage. In this sense, it has become future green energy mix featuring green hydrogen. So I think the changes will be very meaningful and have great implications on us in the future. About several years ago, we have conducted research, and I think this research is quite forward-looking. And we put forward that in China, how can we commercialize the production of hydrogen in China? We started with large-scale demonstration. We proposed this in 2020, and we published an, a paper in 2021 uh, on a scientific journal. Back then, we interviewed government institutions, scientific institutions, um, companies, and some international think tanks um, about energy and some academ academia as well. We did two rounds of uh, questionnaires. The goal was to help China find and identify proper policies to promote the implementation of large-scale hydrogen projects. That was what we did three years ago. But today, there are many large-scale commercial hydrogen projects that have been already implemented. I'll give you our conclusion in a moment. We aim to realize that in five years, but actually it was uh, completed in only two years. We asked one question, what's the role of green hydrogen in China? And are people satisfied with government support? And how many years does it take uh, to use hydrogen at large scale? 
um, the answer was five to ten years. But in reality, uh, this speed has been much more accelerated. In some northern provinces, like Inner Mongolia, if we are talking about uh, green hydrogen projects with annual capacity of 10,000 uh, uh, or more, uh, uh, there are many. Uh, but years ago, there was only one project in Zhangjiakou. Uh, they used the wind power to support the production of green hydrogen, uh, powering their own um, fuel cell vehicles. Up until now, grey hydrogen have been used. So back then, green hydrogen was only a wishful thinking, uh, and it wasn't reality yet. And we have also learned what challenges people were faced with when it comes to green hydrogen. There are, uh, there were indeed some uh, um, policy barriers and uh, shortage of infrastructure. We also learned learned this information according to the response we received. We came up with this roadmap predicting in which sectors green uh, hydrogen will be uh, looking at a keen demand. Most of the uh, colored boxes circle around um, mid-term, namely five to 10 years. Some sectors have moved faster. So China has moved fast in general when it comes to green hydrogen. We thought fossil fuels and CCS would be one of the major methods of uh, hydrogen generation. Hydrogen from uh, renewable energy will pick up in the future, but not yet. We see uh, that the hydrogen pipelines were being built by Sinopec in Beijing and Inner Mongolia. So we believe the large-scale commercial projects have already started. Some experts here uh, mentioned the possibility of international hydrogen trades in the future. I couldn't agree with them more. And we are also actively promoting a project in collaboration with, with uh, Mongolia. There is an area in Inner Mongolia which sees abundant wind and uh, uh, PV power. Years ago, uh, Mr. Yashisan from SoftBank Japan proposed a plan to use electricity grid to generate hydrogen. Back then, it was called Asia Supergrid, but it was difficult to put that into reality because technically speaking, it would be extremely difficult to connect everything and there were um, energy security concerns. But we believe it's highly likely that we can turn this energy into green hydrogen because they are as tradable as uh, oil and natural gas. The only difference is that we can use green electricity as a medium and trade it as a green commodity in the global market. So in 2021, uh, we started a research project covering different aspects, geopolitical, uh, energy 
environment, industry, technology, uh, economy, etc., on how we can turn the project in Inner Mongolia into a real green hydrogen serve uh, industry so it can serve the whole Northeast Asian market. We believe China, Japan, and Korea will become the uh, main markets that will see a keen demand for green hydrogen. We believe it's highly likely to develop uh, a huge amount of um, renewable energy in this region, and, and that's the region colored in yellow. You can see uh, we can transport hydrogen through some pipelines connecting to Bohai Bay in northeast China, because if we are looking at the routes from Australia to Japan or from Brunei to Japan, this long-haul uh, transportation projects of hydrogen have been very successful in the pilot stage. So technically, it's doable, and we have uh, done some calculation. It's also feasible. So in terms of technology, um, technology, environment, even geopolitical uh, areas, um, this project will be very um, feasible. And we have also learned the possible challenges and the solutions. We have done uh, research into the details. And the re uh, results of the research were published on a scientific journal in Chinese. We have also um, drafted a roadmap on the possible actions. Before I close, I'd like to give you some updates on the development of hydrogen in China. As I said, in China, the number is that by 2024, by the end of 2024, we will see uh, the production of uh, 650,000 Ton, uh, tons per year. We're talking about individual projects uh, per project. So how can we absorb such a high level of energy? This is even higher than some of the European countries when it comes to the production and usage of hydrogen in the early development stage. China produces a uh, hydrogen in certain areas and absorb and use them in local areas because these hydrogen projects are largely combined with uh, uh, petrochemical uh, steel making and other projects. At the end of last year, before early this year, there was a new policy in China being rolled out saying that petrochemical industry will be included in the carbon trade market in China. Against that backdrop, petrochemical companies are highly motivated to deploy technologies and projects around green hydrogen. So green hydrogen will generate uh, profitable returns in uh, carbon trade projects in the future for the very reason 
these hydrogen resources are consumed and absorbed locally. And they're also building pipelines uh, transporting hydrogen from Western China to Eastern China. These pipelines will be built very soon, covering a length of 400 kilometers. This is uh, going to be the very first uh, hydrogen pipeline in China, the, the owning uh, pipeline specifically used for hydrogen. So I'm very optimistic and interested in the development of hydrogen energy in China. At the same time, we are moving forward with a new research project. We predict that the hydrogen industry in China will become a leading um, uh, industry in the world. If that's the case, China's international cooperation on hydrogen will become an important piece of the puzzle. So we are doing a research project on how China can be better involved in international hydrogen ecosystem. So these are some updates on our recent project. And we look forward to more in-depth cooperation with you in the future. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Lee. Um, moving swiftly on to uh, Rick Stadler's climate change specialist with Aviva Investors. Uh, Rick, over to you. Great, thank you. And um, apologies that I haven't got a slideshow, so you'll have to uh, enjoy whatever background is behind me. Um, so I've worked on climate change uh, investment funds for the last 17 years and have been following the um, the debate around hydrogen for a while um, and seen the sort of hype bubbles come and go. And I think over the last few years, I've been amazed by the amount of research that has been generated by the discussion around hydrogen um, uh, you know, that we, we're seeing uh, recently. So as we've looked into it, we've looked into what are the potential future uses of hydrogen um, and so for this, we have uh, isolated it into, could it be as a source of power? And we, you know, as Hugo said, we don't think it will be an efficient replacement for uh, fossil fuels where we are seeing the cost declines of renewables and energy storage becoming much more competitive. Um, as such, it will may have a role as um, a form of long duration storage um, though even here, we're seeing other competing technologies in this space. So nothing certain with regards to power. With regards to heating, we can split this between the residential heating markets and industrial heating. Um, from the residential side, there's a lot of discussion about blending uh, hydrogen into the, the existing gas pipelines, but as we know, you know, once you get over that 20% blend, it becomes corrosive uh, to the pipeline. So we would need to exchange, you know, change out all of the systems and pipe works, supplying, um, supplying gas, or in this case, hydrogen, to the residential market, uh, making it uh, quite cost prohibitive. Uh, and then on top of that, we would look at the efficiencies of a hydrogen boiler versus a heat pump. And we see that the cost efficiencies of a heat pump are four to six times that of a hydrogen boiler. So we, we don't see any logical reason why hydrogen will play a role in residential heating. Um, so 
but then, you know, when it comes to uh, the other argument is it can provide high levels or intense heat for industrial processes uh, for steel and aluminium or chemicals, for example. Um, and so we do think it may have another potential role in that market, though equally we also conscious that there are other forms of electrical heating and whether infrared or um, that can deliver similar levels of heat. So again, another competitive field for hydrogen. And then we think about transport. So, uh, you know, at the moment, you look at the market, uh, it is dominated by electric vehicles. We don't think that is going to be changing uh, anytime soon in the small sort of light vehicle categories. Um, we do see that there are some examples of hydrogen fuel cell buses, for examples. Um, and it, you know, but even here, we are seeing the evolution in energy storage and battery power uh, so that you are going to get the range that you require for heavy good vehicles from batteries um, and the downtime is the overnight when you're not allowed to drive anyway so you know that, that it, again it's it's facing com competition and there are other markets becoming rapidly established um, there is talk obviously within the aviation sector uh, where you know this is a sector which doesn't have any clear indication of how it's going to achieve net zero um, there are talk of hydrogen flights, uh, but here we have the challenge of the volumetric uh, energy density of hydrogen and you know, the ability to store enough to power a long distance flight. So I think the conclusion of where we see the future is that it's not entirely clear. Um, there is a lot of incumbent uh, support for hydrogen, uh, obviously from the fossil fuels, which is uh, obviously attracting a lot of lobbying uh, attention and, and uh, influence in political debate, um, but it is a very um, sort of competitive area, though we think the most likely area will be in the industrial, um, in industrial hubs that we've heard about. Um, in terms of sort of the, the colours of hydrogen, uh, you know, from a climate perspective, obviously we're looking uh, at green hydrogen being the um, being the sort of the option that we would all like uh, to see evolve um, and but you know the costs of this is dominated by the cost of the electrolyzers and electricity costs um, we've seen electricity costs coming down we're seeing electrolyzer costs declining in a similar way that we've seen solar and wind power decline over the last few years and just as an aside I'd add in that the IEA forecasting is a uh, notoriously bad on uh, disruptive technology. So we've seen this with its ability to poorly forecast as cost decline and penetration of renewable and solar. We've seen it again recently with its inability to forecast the uh, penetration of electric vehicles. And so I'm sure uh, to Michael's comments at the beginning, we'll probably see it with its inability to actually forecast the uh, uptake of hydrogen as well. Um, but we are seeing the electrolyzers uh, cost declines coming in. Um, but you know, with green hydrogen, uh, similar comment to what uh, Hugh was saying was that, you know, why would you use renewable energy to create uh, green hydrogen? You know, the round trip efficiency from uh, using that to create the hydrogen, which then can be 
turned back into electricity is a 31% uh, efficiency ratio. So it's a very inefficient use of uh, green electrons. Um, but, you know, and obviously we need to see the scaling up of renewable energy, uh, primarily for the electrification of our global economy first, and then, you know, for additional areas such as, uh, you know, it's, uh, green hydrogen secondary. Um, in addition, one of the com one of the areas not talked about so far is the water demands of green hydrogen. Um, if we are going to see see it going at scale, we have to address the sustainability of fresh purified water supply. Um, this is a, a big challenge. Obviously, uh, the, if it's impure, this affects the efficiency of the electrolyzers. Um, most of the parts of the world where you see sufficient sort of natural resources in terms of solar and wind are also facing water scarcity challenges. So this is another headwind for, uh, for the generation of green hydrogen. On the blue hydrogen side, we're not very positive on CCS as a technology. Um, it has consistently failed to deliver. Uh, and, you know, we know that it will never be net zero uh, compliance, you know, it will fail to capture 100% of CO2 from the um, exhaust stacks of the, the power stations that are, are used to generate it. So we would be skeptical about, you know, the, the overall value of blue hydrogen. Um, but, you know, and then also we have the, the issue of methane leakage in the value chain. So, you know, as you're extracting the, the gas to, to um, used to create the hydrogen, there is that leakage there. Obviously, methane has a higher global warming potential uh, in the, than CO2, and so that's uh, a critical issue to be conscious of, uh, you know, as we're looking at this decade to really start to drive down greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so, yeah, so our conclusions are we're not entirely positive on the future of hydrogen. We do believe that it will have a role, it will not be a primary role. Um, we, uh, you know, green hydrogen will probably become more cost effective uh, towards the end of the decade uh, than now as we see the electrolyzer costs come down. Uh, obviously, we also need to see an increase in carbon pricing uh, coming in, uh, where, you know, at the moment we're looking for a carbon price of $100 per tonne to make green hydrogen. Uh, have parity, um, but you know, around the world there aren't any. You know, there, well, there are a few carbon markets, but at the scale we need this, you know, we're not seeing that carbon price occurring currently. So that's our conclusions there. Thank you. Well, thank you very much indeed. Um, and I'm going to move uh, swiftly on. We're just running just a little bit behind time, um, and ask Dr. Zhu Tong to take the floor. Um, Dr. Zhu, over to you. I will talk in compilation of China's hydrogen development policymaking practices. I will also talk about the problems that exist in the hydrogen field. The development of hydrogen in China is in face of three major issues. Number one, different countries are also in face of the similar issues. Number one, the raw materials for hydrogen production are primarily 
the fossil fuels. So that will cause great pressure to the uh, emission of carbon dioxide. And we can see the share of the electrolysis of water to produce hydrogen is less than 5%, similar story in China. So for China, the hydrogen production by the industrial byproducts is about 20%. In 2020, the carbon dioxide emission by producing hydrogen using the fossil fuel has been over 3.3 million tons, accounting for 25% of total carbon dioxide emission. So it is really taking up a very large share. Now, the green hydrogen is not becoming the primary energy mix to promote the development of the hydrogen will give rise to the carbon dioxide emission from the gray hydrogen production. We need to pay attention to this phenomenon. Many localities, cities are trying to promote some hydrogen production projects, but primarily they are gray hydrogen production. Secondly, many local governments attach great importance to the development of hydrogen. Anyhow, as we will know, global-widely speaking, many countries which include EU, the UK, Japan, South Korea, they have promulgated now policies for developing clean energy, but the technologies for the hydrogen development are still in the piloting stage. It has been commercialized on a very large scale. Against this backdrop of a planning for the hydrogen and also the establishment of the hydrogen parks has been overheated. That means there are many provinces and cities which have issued and released now planning for the development of hydrogen. According to incomplete statistics, over 70% of the provinces putting forward that they would like to develop the hydrogen, but before the commercial application, over 70% of the provinces and cities would like to have the pilot projects in hydrogen. This will give rise to the waste of resources, money, investment, and a low standard investment. Besides, the planning for the hydrogen is quite singular. The utilization of hydrogen is primarily in fossil fuel and also industrial sectors, which include transportation, fertilizers, power generation, etc. According to a report from the International Hydrogen Alliance, around 2013, there will be over 22 end applications while trying to reduce carbon dioxide emission, which include refinery, long-haul transportation, hydrogen refinery, etc. But the pilot projects in China are still concentrated on transportation. So the application scenarios are much too singular. We have some buses, public transportation means, and the passenger vehicles. The application scenarios are much too Melotolous and singular, the greatest application of hydrogen should be in the industrial sector. I believe that will be the most important sectors for the future application of hydrogen. Regarding passenger vehicles, from the perspective of experts, 
if we check the progress, besides heavy duty vehicles, heavy duty trucks, under the trailers, the EV is very competitive. I believe in the future, regarding the application of hydrogen, the major application scenarios will be chemical, multinational sectors, including shipping. But our pilot projects are making very slow progress. I believe we should pay more attention to these issues. In summary, we are talking about the future role of hydrogen in energy transition, decarbonization. The most application scenarios will be in the industrial sectors, primarily petrochemical, but its application in the transportation sector, according to many estimates, transportation will not be the most important application scenario or sector for hydrogen. Against the backdrop of uh, the energy transitioning, we need to consider the proper role of hydrogen. We are using a lot of hydrogen in petrochemical, but the primary source is gray hydrogen. So we need to consider how can we turn the gray hydrogen into green hydrogen instead of thinking about its application in the transportation sector. Besides, we do not only consider about the technological features of hydrogen. What's more important in energy transitioning and carbon neutrality, what are the roads exclusive to hydrogen instead of other sources of energy? Let me set a very simple example. If we consider transportation, passenger vehicle sector. Now the electrification is a very obvious trend. EVs become very competitive. The public transportation will be largely dependent on the transportation infrastructure. In the future, the transportation infrastructure will be further developed. If you want to establish another transportation infrastructure featuring hydrogen, I don't think it's very economical and very competitiveness. So we need to consider those special purposes or special usages of the hydrogen. For example, they cannot be replaced by other energy mix or sources. So we need to think about the entry points of hydrogen, considering the practical situation of a country you cannot resort to different aspects. Let's take Europe, for example. Europe is with well-developed natural gas uh, industries and infrastructure. They have been considered starting the hydrogen development with the hydrogen doping. Besides, I'm also talking about hydrogen as a fuel to the transportation sector. And when you develop the transportation infrastructure, please consider these very special scenarios. So the most important scenario will be the industrial sector, especially how can we decarbonize the green hydrogen in the industrial sector? That is all my presentation. Thank you. Well, thank you very much indeed, Dr. Zhu. Um, and moving on now to hear from Tim Harper, the founder and chief executive officer at Element 2, 
uh, dealing with hydrogen uh, transportation networks. All right. So, um, good morning, good afternoon, Nihao. Um, I, I suppose I'd like to give a, a little bit more of an entrepreneurial uh, view on where we're going with hydrogen, because um, I think one of the things I hear is uh, a lot of people tend to look at it from a theoretical policy perspective, um, but without really considering where the unmet need is. So when we set up Element 2 um, almost three years ago now, most of the people in the UK were talking about chickens and eggs from the old saying, which came first, the, uh, the chicken or the egg. And, and the reason for that is there were a lot of people wanted to use hydrogen for various things, but uh, a lot of people wanted to supply hydrogen, but nobody is willing to take that first step. And, uh, and, a, and a lot of that just came down to an unwillingness to invest in capital intensive infrastructure when there's an unproven or a, a very mature market. Um, now we looked at this and spoke to a lot of people in the hydrogen business and looked at potential end users of hydrogen. And the end users ranged from people with hydrogen powered cars, there's about 40 or 50 hydrogen powered cars in the UK, so that's not a huge market, uh, all the way up to people wanting to decarbonize heavy industry, uh, steel, ceramics. Uh, and the problem you have at that end is there isn't the infrastructure in place to get enough hydrogen into the places where it's needed. Um, uh, the, uh, the technology for putting it through gas mains isn't quite there. And for the sheer scale that's required, you can't transport it by tube trailers on, on, on the road. Uh, but we realized that uh, there, was a, there was a sweet spot for us, and that was in uh, the heavy end of transport, so that's commercial vehicles. Um, and the reason, the reason for that is that a lot of people in the transport industry, uh, especially fleet managers, logistics, have already started work on decarbonizing their fleets. And what they're finding is that battery electric is suitable for maybe 20% of, uh, of the use cases. So the, the, the problem with battery electric is, you know, one, you have the issue of range, and the second is the issue of recharging, which means that uh, if you're a logistics company, you have to disrupt your business model. Uh, so instead of filling up with diesel for 15 minutes, you've got to find a way of having these, these trucks static. Um, and it gets even worse than that, because if you want to have a, a 40, 44 ton uh, heavy goods vehicle, to get three, 400, 500 kilometers range, you need somewhere around a megawatt, 1.5 megawatts of battery. That will weigh somewhere between 10 and 15 tons, which means that you've immediately lost almost uh, a third of your cargo carrying capacity. So it has a further impact on your, uh, on your business model. So when we spoke to people in the, in the heavy end of transport, they were crying out for something that would allow them to get to net zero and, um, and, uh, and, and uh, produce, some, produce zero emissions. Now, it's not just fleet managers wanting to do this, it's also the investors in those companies because of uh, ESG pressures. Uh, a lot of investors now are saying to um, logistics companies, 
uh, we, we're not sure if we can actually put our money into your business because the, your main contribution to the environment is driving up and down roads, emitting uh, greenhouse gases and, uh, and, and diesel particles. And of course, the logistics operators are getting the same message from their customers, uh, whether that's consumers or major supermarkets, who once again, don't want to be responsible for those emissions. Um, so the, the solution that everybody was looking for was hydrogen, uh, and there was a need to put in hydrogen refueling infrastructure. Now, we realized very early that the current model of producing hydrogen on site, storing it on site, uh, just wasn't economic. So we, our business model is very much technology agnostic, so we don't own or take a bet on any technology and if any of our Chinese colleagues have got a better more efficient way of storing transporting or dispensing hydrogen we'll be happy to uh, happy to talk to them and uh, and displace our existing uh, inefficient suppliers um, and uh, and we focus solely on building the infrastructure so we have uh, 30 hydrogen refueling stations under construction uh, going through planning and construction in the UK most of our hydrogen is green. Uh, the reason we can do that is that a lot of the sources of hydrogen for uh, that, that supply the volumes required by the transport industry um, are from renewables. So by renewables, that's everything from waste to hydrogen all the way through to curtailed electrons because we do have a big problem in the UK that if you put up a wind farm uh, you might not be able to actually connect it to the grid for another four or five years so uh, hooking that up to an electrolyzer uh, doing it but but why, why are we doing this well it's, it's very simple uh, almost a third of the UK's greenhouse gas emissions come from transport and a third of those come from heavy transport. So rather than the 35 million passenger cars, it's the 600,000 commercial vehicles that are responsible for a third of the emissions from transport. So the faster we can get those off the road and trans transition them to zero emission technologies and, you know, from our perspective, we don't mind whether it's battery or hydrogen. I think we're always going to have uh, a, a mixture of, uh, of energy sources, just as we do at the moment. So um, that's that, that's what we're doing. The uh, the reception we have from the uh, the fleet uh, managers is is very good. And there's and, and I should add there's there's not just fuel cell um, hydrogen vehicles. There's also hydrogen combustion vehicles being developed by people like JCB and Cummins. And there's also uh, a lot of interest in hybrid systems where you're running vehicles on a blend of hydrogen and diesel which isn't totally zero emission but it does two things for you one is it does cut the tailpipe emissions by 60 70 percent uh, but the most important thing for a lot of uh, fleet operators is it does extend the lifetime of their vehicles because obviously electric vehicles and, and fuel cell vehicles are a lot more expensive than the uh, than the uh, the current diesel so so just to conclude um the reason we're doing this is because you know there is a climate crisis going on you know we've had people demonstrating about it in london all last weekend um and and those people are voters they are consumers uh and they are investors in in companies so uh by by rapidly decarbonizing the uh, some of the low-hanging 
areas such as, as transport, we can make a, a real difference very, very quickly. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Tim, for that contribution, looking at um, this from a, a business point of view uh, in the UK. Um, next, I'm going to turn to Dr. Ding Ning, Chief Expert on Energy Research at the China Construction Bank uh, Financial Asset Investment Company. Um, Dr. Ding, over to you. I will now use the slides to share with us our ideas and observations about the green hydrogen energy. So we know that actually the consumption for the green hydrogen will be about 90 million tons by 2020. China is the largest producer and also consumer of hydrogen in the world, accounting for one third of the global total, increasing by over 30% compared with that of 2022. And the consumption for hydrogen in 2030 will be almost 40 million tons. If we check the uh, consumption mix of the hydrogen uh, refinery and the petrochemical will be the major consumption sectors in the short and medium, I believe that will be a very important solution for the industrial use. China is still using the hydrogen in the traditional sectors, which include electricity, transportation, by 2030, I believe the share for the hydrogen in the transportation sector will be about 5%. With the technological advancement and also the lowering production cost, they will be used in the transportation, uh, building, industrial sectors. Now we are considering about the hydrogen production and the uh, these sectors, transportation, electricity, will be the sectors will witness very large scale. Now we are using the uh, synthetic ammonia, methanol, industrial or the petrochemical will be a very important sector for the utilization of hydrogen. Uh, PetroChina and the Sinopec are also trying to produce a lot of hydrogen. The yearly output will be about 440 tons per year. To produce a ton of hydrogen, we need a lot of methanol or the other industrial materials. We have very high demands for the industrial raw materials, while the greatest demand will generate a very large market. Besides, we can see the lead for the hydrogen in the petrochemical sector is also on the rise. In transportation sector up to this point, and we can see we are very concerned about the vehicles, EVs. Actually, we have over 6.7 million fuel cell vehicles. China is with a very large inventory or stock of the fuel cell vehicles from the perspective of energy storage. According to the 200 megawatts pilot projects in power generation. The cost for the energy storage has been reduced from uh, 0 0.9 to 0 0.5 MBUM per kilowatt. So I believe these projects will 
help us to break even and even make some profits by 2030 with the lowering cost of renewable energy power generation the cost for the hydrogen storage will be reduced to 0.4 ambient per kilowatt so i believe that will be very important scenarios for us Through natural gas, uh, we can reduce the cost of uh, hydrogen transportation. Now we have a 400 million uh, cubic meters of uh, natural gas. That means there will be a huge market in metallurgy, train, aviation. Uh, hydrogen will be used in this area in, in long future. Uh, Alston, the French company, has a smart um, train project in China and China Railway Corporation has also uh, over 20,000 kilometers of uh, a trial project of a smart railway using hydrogen. We believe this is uh, one of the most important industries for carbon uh, reduction. Many European companies and uh, uh, Bow Steel and other steel companies are building um, hydrogen for uh, metallurgy uses, but we believe it will only be commercialized in 2030 and 2035 due to lack of technology. As an investor, we are most concerned about the cost problem of N hydrogen. Uh, we all know that green hydrogen is very expensive. We believe um natural gas only has a cost of two dollars and uh, uh, we are targeted at uh, 1.5 rmb or even less even if we take the trough uh, electricity tariff as example hydrogen powered electricity will be as high as two rmb per kilowatt hour that's not economical um, I think we can only reduce the cost of green energy when the electricity used to generate hydrogen can be ignored. Given the abundant resources of solar and wind power in uh, northeast China and southeast China, we can reduce uh, the cost of hydrogen. We believe we still have a long way to go. There are different pathways. Uh, hydrogen plus solar energy through some combinations of wind, solar, and hydrogen power. If we can uh, raise it to 4,000 hours per year, then the cost would be reduced to 11 RMB. We believe uh, when the levelized cost um, of green hydrogen is uh, 0 0.1 or 0 0.15 RMB, uh, that will make it very competitive. But we can increase the installed capacity, we can increase the efficiency per unit, uh, we can reduce the manufacturing cost of hydrogen to 15 to 18 RMB. With uh, a better uh, carbon market, there would be a advantage for a scrapped 
hydrogen. Now, the carbon price in China is only 50 RMB per ton, but when it increases to 200 RMB, same as Europe, then the hydrogen cost will be over 20 RMB. Then green hydrogen will have a clear advantage. The green hydrogen projects in China, especially after the national plan on installed capacity was rolled out last year, in by 2025, renewable energy in China will see a newly added capacity of 200 tons per year. By 2025, green hydrogen will surpass 800,000. That's much higher than expectation. In Q1, there were 23 hydrogen projects, all of them being green hydrogen. China invested 55 billion RMB, and there are projects with 400,000 billion RMB being planned. The main users include the main cities using a lot of new energy. They're concentrating in eastern China. In north China, uh, there are hydrogen storage projects. And in eastern China, there are hydrogen generated by um, solar power and offshore wind. In terms of policy support in 2022, the mid to long term development plan for any new energy made it clear uh, that uh, hydrogen powered vehicle will be 50,000 uh, vehicles. And we think it's important that uh, uh, the development strategy will be green hydrogen plus gray hydrogen in China. On the one hand, we believe more locations will be made available for hydrogen. Uh, it was previously managed as a hazardous chemicals requiring license. But since last year, many cities in China have launched policies allowing companies to build up uh, hydrogen projects in specific locations, providing more development uproom. In China, different governments give different levels of subsidy to green hydrogen uh, projects. Uh, for example, discounted electricity tariff or quota for solar and wind power. We believe all this policy support uh, will benefit the future development of energy hydrogen in China. We believe investors will offer uh, diversified capital support. As a commercial bank, we are looking at uh, capital-intensive, low-risk uh, projects. For example, um, gener generation of hydrogen coupled with uh, utility-scale PV power stations. Of course, we need more uh, relaxed regulations when it comes to pipelines and uh, storage cans. Uh, these are also what our bank is interested in. We will support some technological companies featuring R&D, including new energy batteries and electrolyzers. Uh, we're also talking about uh, storage facilities, uh, pressurizer, 
uh, catalyst, etc. And we are also looking at uh, fuel cells, uh, liquefied high nitrogen, and other cutting-edge technologies in other possible investment projects. So I'll leave it there. Thank you very much, and sorry for the technical glitch. Well, uh, thank you very much indeed. And, um, but first of all, just to invite Markus Axenberger from H2 Stiftung um, to give a brief explanation of how um, H2 Stiftung is trying to create um, markets in hydrogen. Markus. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. It's the H2 Global Foundation or the H2 Global Stiftung. So that's that's the brand and that's the name. But thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you very much to Mr. Schuess. I see uh, you are in the call today. So uh, Mr. Schuess is one of the first supporters of the H2 Global idea which was developed two and a half years ago just to overcome this chicken and egg problem why nobody is investing in H2 uh, because uh, it is not bankable. Uh, you cannot bind your finance on it. So H2 Global was developed two and a half years ago, like I said, uh, to, become these over, uh, these, these, to overcome this chicken and egg problem. It is a very defined system. It is defined by size and defined by time. The German government and the Dutch government provided already 6 billion euro uh, for uh, these supporting mechanisms. So we are now executing H2 Global. It is based on the contracts for difference mechanism, just to make sure that these very high prices now for the production of green hydrogen needs to be covered because you cannot get, let's say, the amount of money on the on the uh, on the sales side, and there is a price gap, and that needs to be covered. Everything H2 Global is doing is very competitive, competitive based. So we have a so-called double auction mechanism to make sure that it is as smart as possible and as cost efficient as possible. I will show you uh, how it looked like. So what H2 Global is now doing, we are starting, uh, we started already in December with the first auctioning process. So we are auctioning now green hydrogen derivatives, means green hydrogen uh, as ammonia, green hydrogen uh, within or as uh, green methanol and green synthetic air fuels with a whole amount of 300 million euro each. Whoever provides the best, best uh, price, so the lowest price will get the strike. Strike means they will get from our from our company. It is called Hinco Hydrogen Intermediary Network Company, but will provide a, a, a contract with a guaranteed and fixed price over the period of 10 years. Hinco will not store these products because all these products needs to be physically delivered uh, to Europe, to a so-called triangle between the harbor of Hamburg, the harbor of Antwerp, and the harbor of Duisburg. So we want to have these products physically in, in, uh, in Europe. It is a global auction, but Hinco will not store these products. Of course, Hinco will sell these products into the European market. Uh, as short as possible. So just with the short-term contracts, six months, 12 months, or 18 months, as short as possible, just to make sure that we can make use of these upcoming increase of prices. So what you can see here on the flat line on top, this is the guaranteed price by Hinco provided for the period of 10 years. So whoever wins or whoever gets the strike, whoever will be awarded out of this auction can really bind his finance on it because we are backed by the German and by the Dutch government. So you, Hinko is really acting as a, uh, as a AAA or as a blue chip investor on the market. 
So what we expect within the next couple of years is increasing prices because of upcoming regulation, because of upcoming willingness to pay higher prices for green uh, hydrogen products or green hydrogen derivatives. We don't know exactly when it will match. So we expect it will be within the next couple of years. What is Hinco as well doing? So we are reducing the risks in the market because all these uncertainties in regard of how a product should look like, certification, standardization. So we have set our own standards. We have set our own uh, certification scheme. It is absolutely, uh, and I would say 99.99% in line now, what was uh, uh, already uh, you know uh, um, uh, presented now by the European Commission in regard of Delegated Act and in regard of, of uh, RED2 and of an uh, upcoming RED3. So this is something what uh, H2 Global provides as well, reducing the risks for all market, uh, 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 for all participants within the market, the production side and the offtake side. What H2 Global is, uh, what, what, what we are doing, we are working in a so-called window logic. Whoever provides funds to H2 Global, so using the H2 Global mechanism to cover these price gaps, needs to define precisely for what kind of product, from what kind of region, within what kind of criteria, and so on. It is not a decision made by the H2 Global Foundation or by the HINCO. It is always the decision made by the, by the provider of the funds. So the first contribution window within the amount of 900 million euros was uh, provided with funds by the German government. And they selected precisely the criteria, the products, etc. The second contribution window will have the amount of 3.53 billion euro, as well provided with funds by the German government. The third contribution window will have the amount of 1.4 billion euro. This is as well German government's money, but just for the purpose of synthetic fuels for the shipping and for the airline sector. The fourth contribution window is uh, made now for the Dutch government. They will select, they will uh, uh, define precisely for what kind of purpose, for what kind of product and so on. We are, I can see a hand is raised. Uh, yes. Shall I be quicker or? Uh, yes, quick. If you could be uh, quick, quick, please, Marcus. Thank you. Yeah, of course, I, I, I will do so. So we are doing that as well for other governments. Uh, for the Australian government, we are in cooperation now with the Japanese government. Uh, with the uh, sorry, with the Japanese government, not with the Chinese, with the Japanese government, with the United Arab Emirates, and with different other other countries in Europe. Uh, we developed uh, an, an additional or a second. Um, uh, um, mechanism uh, now for the US government. They asked us uh, for, for such kind of uh, concept. This is now a second uh, concept beside the IRA, the H2 Global Foundation, just my last word. Uh, this is organized and done because we uh, what we have needed uh, was a very independent body to execute H2 Global, the concept and the idea. We have now already 60 uh, funders, uh, let's say more or less all the most of the big companies who are dealing with uh, hydrogen uh, worldwide. And uh, we are uh, growing week by week. So I'm happy if you would like to have more information to send out uh, all documents documents and more information about H2 Global. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Marcus. Very useful. And just maybe over for a last word to Michael. Um, sorry, we've run slightly over time due to the technical problems. Um, but Michael, would you just like to round things off? Yes, uh, again, our apologies. Uh, normally, we, we like to do we do like to have a bit of conversation here, but we've had some input from the audience. And as Michael says, uh, we'll be circulating slides. 
Uh, just in terms of two other points, uh, we are gearing up here in London for next month's Net Zero Delivery Summit. That'll be held on the 24th of May. So anybody coming through London, uh, please let us know. We'll try and get you uh, access to the Guildhall event being run by the City of London Corporation. Uh, Zien uh, Long Finance and uh, with the sponsorship of Hexterra and the cooperation of Aviva Investors will be hosting an event as well on the Tuesday, the 23rd of May in the afternoon. Uh, and again, any of you coming over, uh, please do let us know. That's going to be looking at a new global financial architecture to support uh, preventing climate change. So uh, a lot happening here in London. As ever, check out the website and our sincere thanks to all of you for your contributions and for listening. Uh, thank you, Michael. Uh, thank you all uh, for your contributions this morning, this afternoon, uh, and goodbye.